We're in Genesis 3 tonight, and this is where sin entered the world. We're in this Stories of the Bible series. Uh, We started it last week. We talked about creation and not losing our all of creation. This week, we're kind of continuing the next big story in the Bible, and that is the fall of man. Genesis 3. And it's the moment when sin entered the world. This is a very big deal because it really sets the theme for the rest of the Bible. The redemption of mankind that comes in Revelation. And so here it is, this huge story. It's starting right now tonight. If you have your talk sheet with you, I'm going to try. I didn't really get to all the, uh, the, the blanks last week. I had a couple people walk up to me afterwards going, Steve, you got to give me the rest of the. Uh, I'm going to give you all the blanks tonight, all right? You could probably predict what the last three are. You can probably predict it. But if you need a talk sheet, Grace is walking around. Um, we have those available every time we walk in the door. There's also pencils, that kind of thing, if you need something to write with. I mean, blood is not recommended, but, you know, if you're going to use a pencil, that would be great, all right? Um, some are like, Anyway, uh, Genesis chapter 3, which was just read, is probably the, uh, well, it is the definitive place or in the story of mankind where sin entered the world, and it was a deception of the evil one. Uh, Enemy has a plan. He always has, always will. But I want to ask us a question, and it's a pretty probing question, a question I want you all to deal with. How do you deal with sin? How do you personally deal with sin? I think some of us, we uh, probably stuff it away. Nah. Or we explain it away. Oh, it doesn't affect me. Or we just kind of maybe get apathetic or jaded to it and just kind of go with it. Or I think the last option is probably to do something about it and to say no. And obviously, I think for the believers in the room, you know the obvious answer to the question is, yes, when sin enters or is around me, I need to walk away from it, to flee that sin. But here's the reality of our world. We are surrounded by sinful uh, patterns, sinful people, sinful actions. And how does a believer interact with a sinful world? How do you deal with sin? Think about it. Whenever you are tempted by sin, how do you deal with it? How do you respond to it? Is there something in you that says, I don't need to be about this? Or is there something that just says, hey, you know, it doesn't affect me. I can do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. I think a lot of us have that mentality. Or I think this is probably the better reality. I think of the Bellevue kids in the room. You've always been a part of church your whole life. It doesn't affect me. And I think you're fooling yourself, to be quite honest. You've explained it away and are not really dealing with the sin that is surrounding your life. Oh, it may not be affecting you, but it's around you. And how do you deal with that sin? We see how uh, Adam and Eve, actually in Genesis, here a little known fact, in Genesis 3.1, they're not identified as Adam and Eve until after the fall. Before the fall, they are known as man and woman. Pretty cool. Anyway, little tidbit there. The serpent was more cunning than any other animal. And he said to the woman, did God really say? 
did God really say that? Doubt. The evil one used doubt in that moment to tempt the woman and to tempt her to look at the tree differently than the way that she has been known it before. Verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you will certainly not die. Another lie, because that's what the evil one does, right? He lies, he steals, he kills, and destroys. John 10, 10. For God knows that on the day you will eat of your eyes will be opened, you'll become like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took some of the fruit and ate. And she gave some to her husband with her, and he ate. And this is the moment sin enters the world. Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. Shame guilt. Usually that's the response when sin enters our world or sin enters even our life or even our life sphere, right? When sin comes in, usually our first response is shame and guilt. Like, oh my, what have I done? Same response. I'm naked. And they, this is key here, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves waste coverings. And so they tried, in their own effort, to hide their shame and guilt, the sin that was in their life. They knew that sin was there. And so they did their own, in their own effort, they tried to take what they knew, and that's those tree things, those big leaves, and try to make something that would cover their shame and their guilt. That's a key point to this story. There are consequences to sin. A little sidebar here, it's not in your notes. There are consequences to sin. And many times those consequences, we try to explain away. We try to deal with that sin. But in reality, the sin has ultimately separated us from God. Because we have a holy and just God that cannot deal deal with sin. And so because of he knowing that separation between us has done something for us. You all right there? Okay. And so Adam and Eve tried to cover their sin and in their own effort. Let's keep reading. In verse 8, he says, Now they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I want you to underline that in your Bible. If you have your own Bible, have a copy of the Bible, I want you to underline that verse. That is very key truth for us to understand. If you have the Bible app, you better highlight that thing in yellow or something really bright. Okay? Now they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Another, here's another consequence of sin. It's not just guilt and shame, but you run. You run from the thing that you know is good. If you are indulging in sin in your life, your response is guilt and shame, but then you're also going to run from the very thing that you know is good and right. And this is what Adam and Eve did. As God was walking in the garden, they were running from him. That's a big truth right there. Then the Lord called to the man and said, where are you? I think God knew. Do you think? You think God knew where they were? Even though we're hiding behind some trees, 
don't look at me. Don't look at me. Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was what? I was afraid. I was afraid because I was naked. I didn't want to be found out. I did not want you to see the sin that was in my life because I was afraid of what you might think. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave blame. She gave me some of the fruit of the tree and I ate. The blame game, isn't that true of most sinners? We blame. It's not my fault, it's their fault. They made me do it. But you're the one indulging in sin. But they made me do it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Blame. Both the man and the woman both blamed somebody else. He blamed her, she blamed the serpent. It was never an ownership of their own sin. It was never an ownership of their own sin. They never looked at God and said, I'm sorry. They never did. They always blamed. They always blamed. Most people who are indulging in sin in their life are doing the exact same thing. They're blaming it away. It's either your parents' fault. It's either your best friend's fault. The sin that's in your life, the struggle that you're going through right now, you're explaining it away. You're pushing off the blame because you don't want to be found out. You don't want to be known as a sinner. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. Everybody wants to be good all the time, right? This means yes. Most of us in this room are recognizing the reality that how we battle sin is exactly the way that Adam and Eve battled sin. We explain it away. We won. We hide. We do everything we can to get away from the very thing that we know is good, right, true, and pleasing. God knows that. That's what I love about God. He knows you better than you know you. And he knows you enough to know of all the excuses and all the blame game. He knows all of those things about you. Every bit of it. He knows the separation that sin has caused in our world and even in your heart. If you dial it down in, we're not just talking about mankind anymore. We're talking about you and your heart, my heart, our hearts, that sin has separated us from him. Willful sin, sometimes that sin that uh, we actually did on ourselves, but also it may be some in this room that like, like has been done to them or they're around it and they willingly choose it. And God did something about it. And here's the first thing he didn't do, he did, is that he did not abandon them. In the middle of their sins, not one of the points, this is for free, in the middle of their sin, where was God? Where was he? I had you underline the verse. Where was he? He was in the garden. Was he up in heaven? Was he on the other side of the planet? You know, because back then when God created the earth, it was round then too, right? It, was he on the other side? Was he in Antarctica? Was he like, no, he was in the garden with them. So the first thing that God did in the midst of separation was not run from them. He walked in the middle of the sin with them. The other thing that he did is in verse 21. So skip down to verse 21. And he says, 
And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Here is the very first blood sacrifice in the Bible. Now, here's the thing. Adam and Eve tried to use a couple little fig leaves. What happens when you detach fig leaves from the branch? They don't cover very good. We'll just put it like that, right? They don't cover very good. And here's the thing. In their own effort to cover their sin, they used their own devices, their own ways to cover that shame and that guilt. Don't we do the same? Don't we do the same when, we hit, when sin hits our hearts? And our, we try to do whatever we can to fix it ourselves. But yet, what did God do in verse 21? He said, no, 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 no. That'll never work. Let me take care of this for you. And he was the one that provided the covering that was perfect for them. And it happened to be animal skin. A little bit more durable, lasts a little bit longer, and covers a little bit more. And God was the one where blood was shed to cover the sin of man in Genesis 3, in the very moment. Y'all, that is huge, huge theology, huge doctrine. If you want to understand more about who the character and the nature of who God is, study Genesis 3 and dig in to the presence of where he is, where God is in the middle of sin. He's not a cosmic cop that's waiting around the corner, waiting for you to just fail and to bust you for what you've done. That is not the God of the Bible. That is the God of your own imagination. The God of the Bible is one that walks in the middle of your sin and says, you know what? I'm here for you. I'm not going to leave you in the state of your sin. I can't do it. I love you so much. The character and the nature. Oh, I'm preaching right now, y'all. Come on. Like in the very character and the very nature of who he is. He cannot help himself but to come to your aid in the middle of your sin. That's who he is. His love compels him. His kindness toward us leads us towards repentance. He loves you. And he loves you so much that he's not going to leave you where you are. He's not going to allow you to use your own little effort to clothe yourself or to hide your sin. He's like, no, don't try to do that anymore. Let me help you. I've done it. I've paid it. I paid it all for you. And we see that's the very first blood sacrifice in Genesis 3. But then praise the Lord, what happens in the New Testament? Jesus shows up, right? And what did Jesus die on the cross for? The sin of mankind. And how did he die? Blood spilt out. The covering of your sin forever and ever and ever. For the believers in the room, for those that know the Lord, that blood was shed on the cross for you, and you have willfully said yes to him. But many of you have not. Many of you have not recognized the sin that's in your life that's separating you from God. And you have some, there's a God who cares about who you are in the state of your sin, and he wants to do something about it. Two points, you ready? Two points, here's the first one. God 
pursues us. God pursues us. When you are separated by sin, God pursues you. If you're in the room and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and I believe there's a couple in this room that are then in that boat right now. I'm not believing that 100% of y'all know who Jesus is as Lord and Savior, completely. But I want all of us to hear and all of us to understand and all of us to believe that the, where God is in your life right now is on hot pursuit of who you are. Because why? He loves you, he cares for you, and he has one of the greatest gifts ever to give you. And it's not material gift, it's an eternal gift. Because he realizes and knows the state of your sin and where you are. And he wants to do something about it. And he loves you that much. Loves you that much. And so he pursues us. God always, always seeks relationship with you, even when you are actively running from him. God, that is so good. That is so good. For the sinner in the room who is running from God, and I know there's some of you in this room that are that way. I know there's some of you that way. You are doing everything you can to run away from the very thing that you know is good and right and true. And even right now, you may not be running with your feet, but you're running with your heart. And you're running with your mind. And you're explaining away all of this gospel stuff because, nah, it doesn't mean to me. It doesn't mean anything to me. And you have... Love the sin that you're in so much. And you have convinced yourself, I'm speaking some truth right now, you have convinced yourself that you're okay with the sin that you're indulging in. When in reality, you're not okay. You're not. And God is not out to accuse you or to judge you in this moment. If anything, he's walking the aisles where he's sitting in the chair next to you. And he's looking at you with a love and a care that no one else has looked at you like before. And he is simply saying, come, I have something for you that's way better than anything that you could ever try to accomplish in your life. God pursues us. As I was preparing, that video was in my head, but there's also a song that was in my head that is the goodness of God song. I'm not going to sing it to you because that would be brutal. But I want to read you the, the lyric of kind of the middle. We're going to sing the song later, but because your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything because your goodness is running after me. And it keeps running after me. I love that about our God. You could think in your own heart and your own life, and many of you could think about your friends who are running far from God, and you think, oh, they're too far gone. But I'm pretty sure that God's a pretty good marathon runner, and he's running just as hard as they are. And I'm pretty sure that there's a God who's never going to give up on that person, no matter how deep you we think the sin of their life is. Maybe you are believing that you are so far gone from God, and may I just be so bold to tell you that no, you are not. And that no matter what sin that you are battling with, no matter what fire you are going through, the truth is, is that God is in the middle of that 
pursuit. And in the middle of your sin, in the middle of that fire, pursuing you. He's going after you. And he's coming after you right now. In this moment, right here, not tomorrow, not 10, well, maybe 10 years from now, he's still pursuing you. But right now, you are on his mind. That should blow your mind right now. You are on his mind right now. And how you respond in this moment is really important. That's number two. God is pursuing us. Our response matters. Our response matters. There are really two responses to this. It's either to accept this free gift of salvation or to reject it. It's either to accept it or reject it. Every one of us have that option. He doesn't twist our arm into this. He doesn't try to. He's done all that he needs to do in order to get your attention. He loves you. He pursues you. And he provides for you. And that ought to be enough for any one of us to turn around and to recognize who he is in our life. How we respond to the goodness of God is important. Well, Steve, I'm hearing that my sin has separated me from God. He's pursuing after me. How? How do I respond in a way where I am turning my life over to God and not pursuing the sin that's in my life? I'm glad you asked that question because it's a simple three-step process. Can anybody guess what the first one is? Repent. Yes. You're like, yes, I filled in the blank right, right? The first thing to do is to repent. Let me share a couple of verses. Luke 13, 3 says this, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now that perishing that Jesus is talking about in Luke 13 is a spiritual perish, It is a spiritual death. And the reality is, is if you don't repent of your sin and you don't surrender your heart and your life to Christ, the reality is, is that at the end of your days, you will spend eternity in hell. An eternal separation. Remember how I said that God cannot deal with sin. He is a just God. He absolutely loves you and he's going to pursue you till the very end of days. But in the reality, at the end of days, What we find out is that at that point, there is a great white throne of judgment that every one of us will have to come before. And what we have done with this free gift of salvation in Christ Jesus absolutely matters. Absolutely matters. And we first need to repent. Romans 3.23 says this. It says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, every one of us, all have mankind have sin in our life. And because of that sin, we have fallen short of God's ultimate glory. There is a separation there. And the way that we rectify this relationship of separation is to first recognize and to repent of the sin that's in our life. I'm fixing to ask some of you to repent tonight. I'm just going to put it out there. The moment that's coming, I'm going to give you an opportunity to publicly repent of the sin that's in your life. Some of you are shaking in your boots right now. And you should, because maybe you need to be listening to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the prompting of what God wants to do in your heart and your life. To repent. It's a 180. It's not a 360. For all the math people in the room, right? A 180 is to go in one direction. To repent means to take a 180 and go the other way. Not a 360. You know? That's 
To repent means I'm heading in one direction. I realize that, whoa, this is not right. Sin, sin, sin. God doesn't like this about me. If I continue on this pattern of sin, there's eternal hell and death for me. I need to do something about this. And the first thing that we need to do is, one, recognize the sin that's in our life. And then to repent means to change the direction of our life. That means I have to make a choice here. I have to do something about it. I have to do something about it. And I, here's what I love about the Lord. He's pursuing us so fast. He's pursuing us so hard that the very second that a sinner stops and turns, <laughs> it's like a collision. <laughs> he is pursuing you with an absolute love. And the very second that you stop in your tracks of your sinful patterns and you turn, he cannot help himself but to run right smack dab into you. And when he and you encounter each other, there is a, an amazing moment. One of compassion, of love, of care, and peace that comes for the sinner who turns from their sin. And I think every one of you want peace. For all the sinners in the room, deep down, you're longing for peace. You're longing for hope. You're looking for something, and you're trying to find it in a relationship. You're trying to find it in a status. You're trying to find it in an appearance. You're trying to find it in all these different things. And you need to stop to repent of that and allow the Lord to meet you with such peace and grace. Repent. The second thing we need to do is not only just repent, we need to believe. Well, believe what? Believe that he covered us by the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross for us. It simply says, dear Jesus, I'm amazed that you love me, and I believe that you died on the cross to cover my sin. John 3.16 says this, For God so what? Loved the world, you and me, that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish. That's eternal death. Will not perish, but have everlasting life. Y'all, that's the good news, that he loves you. He's done something about your sin. And if you would just repent and to believe what he's done for you, there is eternal life for you. He's also hope. Romans 6, 23, one of the, I've used this verse to share the gospel so many times. For the wages of sin is death. But, I like that but. Yeah, I said that. I like that. But the gift, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Y'all, that is so good. The pattern of sin in my life is leading to death, but God loved me so much that if I would repent and believe, there it is. Eternal life, the free gift of salvation is for me to take. And then the last thing is to what? Repent, believe, what? receive is to willfully by faith say yes to God to repent to believe and to receive to say yes God come move in my life yes God come please save me from my sin Romans 10 9 and 10 says this if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart 
that Christ is risen from the dead, we will be what? Saved. Saved from what? Saved from eternal death. We will be saved and have eternal life. Here's the final thought. We'll jump into the next thing. How I deal with sin and temptation reflects my belief in the saving power of Jesus. I wrote this with the believer in mind. I wrote this with the believer in mind. But here's here's the truth of believers. You probably have been close to God in your past. But for whatever reason, the enticement of sin has led you astray. I want to hear you. I want you to be, I want to be very clear with this. I'm talking to believers. You have allowed the enticement of sin, pride, sexual temptations. We can go fear, anxiety, all of those things. We could talk about all of those things that have distracted us. The sin that is trying to distract you and to derail. But some of you, it's working. How you respond to that sin in the middle of that temptation reflects the saving nature of Jesus at the very moment that you were saved back when you were a kid or even last week. How we respond to the sin in our life reflects Jesus and what he's done on the cross for you. 